Good morning. Welcome to my View from the Rim podcast. It's the 12th of February, which means it's Abraham Lincoln's birthday. Happy birthday, Mr. President and sometime vampire hunter. Um, Enough for that. I wanted to talk about um, just a few things today. In our lesson last week of Income Follow Me, which is the uh, lesson planning for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we discussed um, the flood. Uh, We're studying the Old Testament this year, and we discussed the flood, and we discussed the Tower of Babel. And I was blessed to have the opportunity to teach. Um, It was a little bit unexpected finding out on Sunday morning uh, that I was going to have the opportunity. Um, I had reviewed the lesson and studied it uh, personally, but I'd not really prepared a way to teach it, but I was able to get that together. And I think actually it went pretty well. Uh, We first started talking about um, what was in Come Follow Me last week, which normally we do not have the uh, lessons consecutively, but we do have our personal studies And in that lesson, we talked about the city of Enoch. Uh, Enoch, pardon me in particular, as well as the city of Enoch, and how Enoch uh, prophesied and taught the doctrine of Christ to the people. This doctrine was was given to Adam um, as he left the Garden of Eden and uh, was taught but it had been lost by many except for just a few. And so Enoch had been called uh, to teach to the people. And Enoch, um, there's some similarities between Enoch and Moses. Enoch uh, said that he was slow of speech and people did not uh, listen to him or he was not able to communicate very well. The Lord blessed him and strengthened him that he would be able to be um, a powerful teacher. And indeed he was. Not only powerful in teaching the word of God, the doctrine of Christ, uh, the plan of salvation, but also in using priesthood power, keys that were given him to uh, use the priesthood for the benefit of his people. So Enoch taught the gospel, faith, repentance, baptism, were all key tenets of what Enoch taught. Taught that because of agency, the ability to choose between good and evil, man had become a fallen people. But that was actually part of the plan from the beginning. And that a savior would come, even Jesus Christ, Uh, in the meridian of time to atone for the sins of the people to take upon himself all sin, all suffering and so the city of Enoch Enoch and those who followed him had a belief on on an event that was as yet to come And I always find that, uh, whenever I think about that, I always think about, you know, what kind of a faith did it require someone who was living life and was making mistakes 
to have faith that somebody would come, that they would be able to live a life without sin, to be able to do that, because they had to be a perfect offering, if you will. Me, today, I'm just asked to have faith that it happened. And that because he did that, I can also be forgiven. And that I can be made clean through the blood of Christ. To me, that's an easy thing, relatively speaking. But uh, I digress. So, the city of Enoch, as I've mentioned before, no one was forced who came to Zion, which is the city of Enoch, no one was forced to keep the commandments. People were not forced to have their things in common. And just like uh, before when I talked about the city of Enoch, we'll get a little bit of the, the lib here and point out that people chose to do these things. People that didn't want to follow soon left, probably. Well, we know they left. Because we know that the people who lived in Zion, or the city of Enoch, eventually re reached uh, such a state where there was no sin, where there were no poor. And this, by the way, again, all voluntarily. This was not done by any kind of coercion other than the light of Christ that burns within each of us, prompting us to do the right thing. So that the city of Enoch was taken. Where it is, it doesn't matter. Um, but we know that they had reached such a level of living that they were able to withstand the presence of being not mortal anymore. Are they mortal? Technically, yes. Will they be resurrected? Well, actually, the resurrection's already begun, so it's quite possible that everybody in the city of Enoch has already been resurrected. We don't know these things. But we know that they were taken without uh, tasting death. And while I digress a little bit in talking about that, it's very important, the latter part of the lesson, we talked about the flood. And we talked about the fact that, that Noah had three sons and their wives and his wife with him on the ark. And that was it. But here's what we also know. Is that the sons of Noah had daughters. At least, we presume they had sons as well. We also know by the fact that... that uh, Shem had the same mother as Japheth, that it's extremely likely that Noah had more than one wife, and yet only one wife accompanied him on the ark. As far as we know, um, Noah and his three sons and their wives, and that was the extent of the survival of human population.
Now, I've mentioned agency, of course, and people might want to say, well, isn't God sending the flood taking away people's agency? Well, this is what Elder Neil A. Maxwell said regarding uh, the flood. He explained that at the time of the Great Flood, quoting, Corruption had reached an agency-destroying point that spirits could not, in justice, be sent here. Meaning that with the exception of eight people, because the city of Enoch was already gone, there was no one or there was no way, let me phrase it better, there's no way that Heavenly Father's children could come to this earth and be able to choose to do right. And as I thought about Noah, and I thought about the fact that building the ark and calling people to repentance, which he did, and the only people that followed him were his three sons and their wives, How much of a heartbreaker that must have been for Noah. To know that he had sons and daughters, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. How many greats, I don't know. I mean, he was 500 years old plus. We're all lost to the adversary. And that the world had become so wicked that people, children, could not have the ability to choose to do good. So just put that in your in your uh, mind and roll that one around a little bit. Think about the, the lamentations of Noah at the loss of family and loved ones. So we have the flood. The details of the flood don't matter. Details of the ark. Um, this is not a science course here. So after the flood, we have um, uh, Noah and his sons multiplying and starting to spread across the earth again. And what do the people do? They said, well, we're not going to go through that again. We're going to build a tower so that we can reach heaven. And so they commenced the construction of the Tower of Babel. Now, it's very important to point out the difference here. The city of Enoch was able to reach heaven by people following the doctrine of Christ and not physically constructing an edifice that could reach heaven, but rather by converting the people. And this is very important. You know, Zion is the pure in heart, and Zion can be found wherever the pure in heart are. Those who are found diligently seeking 
Christ, who demonstrate faith in Christ, and follow the doctrine of Christ. Are they perfect? No. Certainly your host is the least of perfection. But what is in their hearts? What is in your heart? What is in my heart? Are we striving to follow the doctrine of Christ, to obey his commandments? What about those who choose to turn away from the light? Sadly, I, children who have um, momentarily at least lost their way I have friends, in fact, uh, friends that I know firsthand had strong testimonies of the gospel, of the restoration, that have decided on a different path. And I think about them each and every day. I don't reach out to them probably like I should, but at the same time, the last thing anybody in that situation is going to want to hear from me or from anyone else for that matter is any kind of a, a, pre, a sermon. And of course, I'm terrified that if I reach out to them, that that's exactly what I'm going to do, not intentionally. President Uchtdorf, while well, then President Uchtdorf, of the member of the First Presidency, Dieter F. Uchtdorf, once said that we cannot pray away someone else's agency. We cannot, or we should not, ask the Lord to force people into a decision into a decision to do right we can tell them that we love them and if they listen they should know that my love is unconditional as to whether or not they choose to follow the doctrine of Christ The older I get, the more I realize that mortality, although some days seem endless, mortality is really just a blip on the radar screen, and not even that. That we cannot, as mortals, fully comprehend the depth of and infinite power the atonement of Jesus Christ has upon God's children. Perhaps you may think that because I have uh, resigned myself to certain people's attitudes that that's a way for me to 
have some healing and that I may not be looking at it the right way. And I would say to you, God loves his children. He is bound by laws of the universe just as we are bound by his laws. He weeps when we knowingly choose a path that does not lead us back to him and to eternal happiness. He weeps because he knows that while we may seek out the short-term here in mortality, we perhaps are giving away our inheritance for a bowl of stew which we'll be talking about Jacob and Esau in the future, not now, but it's the same concept. I would ask those who waver, those who have questions, there's nothing wrong with that. But for you to truly be converted, you have to first want to believe. Remember when the Savior was with Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, a father had brought his child to the disciples that were waiting to be healed and even though as his disciples and they had gone on missions to preach Christ's gospel of repentance they had healed many people but in this instance they were unable to heal this father's child and Christ came down from the mountain with Peter James and John and asked what was happening and the father said I brought my child to be healed and they couldn't heal her. And Christ lamented that his disciples did not have the faith to do so, even though they had performed miracles themselves. And so he asked the Father if he believed that he could heal her. And the father said, yes. But then he said this, help my unbelief. I'm not quoting, so sorry about that. His faith needed to be strengthened. Remember when Christ uh, was in Nazareth and he could do no miracles because there was no faith amongst the people in him as the Savior. The father's faith had been severely shaken by the disciples' inability to heal his child. 
and he needed help believing and the Savior provided that help my friends whether it's believing in Christ whether it's following Moroni's challenge at the end of the Book of Mormon where he says to pray and see whether or not you receive a testimony of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon you have to want to believe. If you read the Book of Mormon not as inspired scripture, which it is, but just as a book, and then you say, God, can you tell me if this book is true? But you're not really convinced of it. You don't really have a, a, a feeling that it's true. I know. The unbeliever would say that's a cop-out to say that. You have to want to believe. You don't have to believe it's true. You have to want to believe. And if you truly want to believe, if you truly want to know about the truthfulness of anything. And while we'll focus on religion here in the Book of Mormon and the restoration of the gospel and, and the atonement of Jesus Christ, in reality, this is universally applicable. If you want to know truth, study out whatever you're wanting to know the truth about. And then ask the Lord. If it's true, you'll know. And if it's not true, you'll find a little bit hard time focusing on it. Because the Holy Ghost will not testify of something that's not true. And so you will not have the burning sensation of truth. My friends, thank you so much for listening. I can't say that enough. Just as a quick follow-up to the previous post, the song was magnificent. Angels sang with us, and I did not sing alone. I didn't think I would but I was humbled by the number of brethren that came up to sing the song. I was humbled by their spirit and by the Holy Spirit, which testified of the truthfulness of the doctrine of Christ found in that message. I testify to you that Jesus Christ created the world. That he came and lived upon it as a mortal being, experiencing temptations, suffering, and overcoming all. 
I testify to you that he took upon himself the sins of the world and was scourged and suffered body and spirit before allowing himself to die. And while dead, he organized the work on the other side of the veil. As it says in Peter specifically, to those who died at the time of the flood, but to all who have ever lived on this earth and have not heard the gospel or the opportunity to accept it. I testify to you that he rose on the third day, breaking the bonds of death for all of us, so that even though we all have to die, even so in Christ shall we all be made alive at some point in the future. This is my testimony to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's my view from the rim.